Iskan founder Acharya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai Anantakoti Vaishnavindu Ki Jai Nam Acharya Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai Prem Shikho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adwaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaur Bhaktivindu Ki Jai Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai Vrindavindam ki jai, Maturidam ki jai, Navadrit Mayapuridam ki jai, Jagannath Puridam ki jai, Gangamaya Jamuna Devi ki jai, Bhakti Devi ki jai, Tulsi Maharani ki jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda ki jai, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale. Sri Mate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namani Namaste Sarasvati Deve. Gauravani Pacharane Nivasesis and Nivani Paskachari Satarane. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Yuta Padakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavamscha. Sri Rupam Sagratatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitams Tam Sajivam. Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya September 10th, 2013 from Hilo, Hawaii over Skype reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1, Chapter 8 Prayers by Queen Kunti and Parikit Saved Text 23 Ita, as it were, Rishikesha, the master of the senses, Kalena, by the envious, Devaki, Devaki, the mother of Sri Krishna, Kamshena, by King Kamsa, Ruda, imprisoned, Atichiram, for a long time, Shucha Arpita, Distressed, Vimochita, Released, Ahamcha, Also Myself, Saha Atmaja, Along With My Children, Vibo, 
O Great One, Twaya Eva, by your Lordship, not Ana, as the protector, Muhu, constantly, Vipatganat, from a series of dangers. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. O Rishikesha, master of the senses and lord of lords, you have released your mother Devaki, who is long imprisoned and distressed by the envious king Kamsa, and me and my children from a series of constant dangers. Purport. Devaki, the mother of Krishna and sister of King Kamsa, was put into prison along with her husband Vasudev because the envious king was afraid of being killed by Devaki's eighth son Krishna. He killed all the sons of Devaki who were born before Krishna, but Krishna escaped the danger of child slaughter because he was transferred to the house of Nanda Maharaj, Lord Krishna's foster father. Kunti Devi, along with her children, was also saved from a series of dangers. But Kunti Devi was shown far more favor because Lord Krishna did not save the other children of Devaki, whereas he saved the children of Kunti Devi. This was done because Devaki's husband Vasudev was living, whereas Kunti Devi was a widow, and there was none to help her except Krishna. The conclusion is that Krishna endows more favor to a devotee who is in greater dangers. Sometimes he puts his pure devotees into such dangers. Because in that condition of helplessness, the devotee becomes more attached to the Lord. The more the attachment is there for the Lord, the more success is there for the devotee. Itarishikesha kalena devaki kamsena ruda chitiram shuchar pita vimochitaham cha samatmaja vibo twayaiva natena muhur vipadganat. O Rishikesha, master of the senses and lord of lords, you have released your mother Devaki, who was long imprisoned and distressed by the envious king Kamsa, and me and my children from a series of constant dangers. So here, Srila Prabhupada in the purport is turning good and bad upside down. Generally speaking, we think what's good is that there's no danger, there's no difficulty, everything is just peaceful. We were studying yesterday the formation of the American Constitution, and one of its purposes is to ensure domestic tranquility. So we were talking with the children, teenagers really, about what is domestic tranquility. So that's what people are thinking is good. If there's a peaceful home, peaceful country, no dangers, no difficulty, and most of us are putting our lives into this sort of security. You know, let me make sure that I have enough money in the bank, I have a good source of income, that my bodily health is good, that all my family members are in good health and have a nice place to live, and so forth and so on, and so forth and so on. And let everything be good. And when there's danger, we say, oh, this is bad. Now, of course, even on a material platform, What's good and bad is often difficult to ascertain. I'm sure many of us have had experiences that it was something that was apparently bad that ended up being good. You know, sometimes because you missed the train, you missed the plane, you missed the bus, you end up with a good result. You end up meeting that person 
who lets you know about the great business deal or lets you know about this or connects you with that and your whole life changes for the better because of some seeming danger or calamity. And conversely, I'm sure we've all had situations that we thought, oh, this is really going to be good, and it ended up being a catastrophe. So even on a material level, we're not really sure what's good and what's bad. And the fact that we want everything to be good by a certain definition of good, and the fact that we're not even sure how to get that, makes our life full of fear and anxiety. So here Srila Prabhupada is telling us what is actually good, and how we can achieve that actual good. He says success. He uses the word here, success. He said our success is when we become more and more attached to Krishna. Kunti uses the word in this verse, Rishikesha. So Srila Prabhupada, in lecturing on this verse, speaks to some extent about how Rishikesha means not the senses, but the, the person who is the master of the senses. So this is our definition of success. Our definition of success is we give pleasure to the master of the senses. We have attachment to pleasing the master of the senses, and we indeed please the master of the senses. Now, a materialist thinks that success, or good, is when I please my senses directly. So the person in the mode of ignorance is thinking what's good is if I please my senses and my mind, my body and my mind, right now, right here, <laughs> as expediently as possible, as immediately, as quickly, with as least a problem as possible. Therefore, those in the mode of ignorance will not engage in very much sacrifice. They try to eliminate sacrifice. They try to eliminate paying for things. They just want immediate gratification. And if there's some price to be paid later, well, I'll worry about that later. That's the mood of those in the mode of ignorance. Of course, the problem with that idea of success, let me just satisfy the senses in the mind, manashastran indriyani, prakriti stani karshati. The problem with thinking that that is success is first of all, we're not the body and the mind, and therefore it doesn't give us real satisfaction. And the next problem with it is because those in the mode of ignorance are looking for immediate satisfaction, the price that they may have to pay may be very steep. You, know, you, you steal something from the store and you have it immediately and then you're in jail. So you may end up paying a, a far greater sacrifice than the person who spends their hard-earned money on the same satisfaction. So you don't get real satisfaction because you're just trying to satisfy something that's not you, and you may have to pay a steep price. So the person in the mode of passion, they think that success is also in having satisfaction of the mind and the senses, but they want that to be legitimate. The person in the mode of passion is proud of the sacrifices that they pay for their sense gratification. They want to be honored for those sacrifices. I'm a very good, righteous person. And you find people speaking like this. People are often talking about how much they do and how much they sacrifice and how much trouble they go through for the sake of the satisfaction of their senses or those of the family or the community. Prabhupada, in commenting and writing on this verse, talks about how most people think success is either pleasure for themselves or their family, their community, or nation. 
And people in the mode of passion, they're very proud. I'm such a good husband. I'm such a good wife. I'm such a dutiful child, etc., etc. You know, I'm such a good employee, and I do this, and I do that, and I do that. And, and then they're waiting for someone to say, yes, you are a great hero. You have sacrificed so much. You have given so much. Right? So that's the person in the mode of passion. They're doing things for honor and prestige. They want to be appreciated. And as soon as they're not appreciated, then they don't want to do it anymore. So uh, even one devotee, and more than one devotee, <laughs> dozens of devotees, have said this kind of thing to me. Well, I was going to this temple and I was sacrificing so much and working so many hours and nobody there even appreciated me. All they did was criticize me. So why should I go anymore? Why should I do anything anymore? So this is the mode of passion. That success is in satisfaction for my senses or the senses of my community, my group, my family. And I want to be appreciated for the sacrifice I make. The person in the mode of ignorance doesn't want any sacrifices. They don't want to do any sacrifices at all. Um, They don't even care so much about name and fame. They just care about immediate satisfaction, something like an animal. Uh, Those in the mode of passion, they want appreciation and they want prestige. You know, if you're really in the mode of passion, then you want to parade down Fifth Avenue in New York and a statue put up for you in the park. (laughs) You know, like Jara Sundar, he said, "I'll, I'll give my head if I'll have fame after death. So that's super, super mode of passion. So that's the idea of success for those in the mode of passion. And for those in the mode of goodness, it's a little interesting. For those in the mode of goodness, their idea of success is in personal purification and liberation. Those in the mode of goodness are not interested in satisfying their senses and their mind with sense gratification, nor are they interested in name and fame. They're interested just in in duty and purification. But those in the mode of goodness are still thinking about themselves. They are thinking about their spiritual self, but they're thinking about themselves. They're thinking, how will I get spiritual satisfaction? How will I get peace? How will I get realization and, and bliss? That's the mood of the person in the mode of goodness. So, of course, the person in the mode of goodness is getting close to the spiritual, but it's still very me-centered. And all of these people, in the passion, goodness, ignorance, they all want to have a life uh, without difficulty. They all want to have a life where everything goes the way they want it to go. They all want to be the karta, the doer, who's arranging their lives. You know, the person in the mode of ignorance... He's got his couch and his remote control and his flat screen TV and his beer and his, you know, it's all set up the way he wants. And the person in the mode of passion has his business empire, his political empire, where he's controlling his enemies and so forth and getting his name in the newspaper and manipulating his contacts and, you know, feeding 10,000 lepers. And the person in the mode of goodness, they've set up their place in the forest with the trees and the chirping birds and the meditation spot and the crystals on their mantelpiece and you know and so forth I'm the doer this is my universe that I've created for my satisfaction so they're defining the I a little differently and they're defining satisfaction a little differently but it's still all my satisfaction and having everything around me that's pleasing to me but here we find that the devotee, and we'll, we'll see this, and of course in the, in the prayers of 
of Queen Kunti. Uh, in fact, we're just about to see this. So uh, today she's talking in general about distress. She talks about Devaki's specific distress. She talks about her distress in general. In tomorrow's verse, she gives the specifics of the distress that she and her children were in. We had this problem, this problem, this problem. And then the verse after that is the very famous verse, Tatra Tatra Jagat Guru. Give me these distresses over and over and over again. So the devotee defines success, not how much I please me or me in an extended sense, my family, my nation, my community, but how much I please the real master, the real center. I mean, better to want to please your family and your community and your nation than just wanting to please yourself directly. Just wanting to please yourself directly is ignorance. Wanting to please your family, society, community is the mode of passion. So the mode of passion is certainly far better than the mode of ignorance. Now, of course, there's even many animals who think in terms of pleasing their community, the honeybee that will die for its hive and so forth. Many animals that will sacrifice their life for their children. So certainly that's better than just being grossly selfish. But although it has a good sentiment, let me please the whole of which I am the part, rather than pleasing myself directly, it's the wrong whole. It's the wrong center. So I've given this example before, that we really have to please the center. We have to know what is the center. You know, I'm not the center. The world doesn't revolve around me. Even this street I'm staying on right now doesn't revolve around me. If I were to leave tomorrow and never come back, uh, nobody on the street other than my own family would care one iota. People, most of the people in the city, it's a small city, but still they wouldn't even know that I had left or if I died, it wouldn't matter to them. The vast, vast majority of people on this planet couldn't care if I live or die. I'm, I'm a non-entity to them. I'm certainly not the center. And, you know, my community is not the center. Most people in the world, like right now I'm in Hilo, Hawaii, so most people in the world don't even know the existence of Hilo. They don't even know the existence of the big island. If you're someplace else in the world, where do you live? I live in Hawaii. I live on the big island. They think the big island must be Oahu. <laughs> they don't even know it exists. I remember when I was in Bahrain, which is also a little island, and I had to tell the people there, I said, look, when I tell people I'm going to Bahrain, most people say, what's that? Where's that? So our community is not the center. Even if you're well-known, you know, even if you're in New York City, in midtown Manhattan, so the people on Oxford Street in London, they don't think you're the center. So our community's not the center. Our country's not the center. Americans think their country is the center. Before that, the British thought their country is the center. Before that, the Spanish thought their country is the center. But our country is not the center. Our planet's not the center. It's just a little planet off in a corner of the universe. It's the lowest, Prabhupada says, of the middle planetary systems. I, even our universe is in the center. Like when Lord Brahma went to see Krishna and he, he saw all these other Brahmas with so many more heads. 
and he realized, oh, I'm the Brahma of a tiny, tiny little universe. Even all the material universes are not the center. And Purusha Shukta's explained that the whole material creation is just in a corner. Even you go to the Vaikuntas, they're not the center. You have to go to Goloka Vrindavan, you have to go to Vrindavan, and then <coughs> you'll find that Krishna is the center. So the devotee defines success as pleasing the real center. Pleasing the real center. Sarvapati vanirmuktan tatpartena nirmala rishikesha rishikena sevena bhakti ruchate. This is the definition of bhakti. That the center is pleased, Krishna is pleased. Prabhupada gives the analogy uh, so many times that our business is to feed the stomach. We don't, you know, rub the food in our eyes. And Prabhupada told us, I told my father that in 1976. He said, if you eat good food, you'll have good eyesight, but if you put the food in your eyes, then you'll become blind. Um, I have to just hold for a minute. Someone's calling me from the other room. Sorry about that. So we want to put the food in our stomach. We don't rub the food into our hand. We don't rub the food into our feet. We put it in the mouth. We put it in the stomach. We have to know what is the center. Water the root of a tree. You don't, you don't sprinkle your water on the individual leaves. And when we do that, mamai vamaso jiva loke jiva sanatana, then we feel happy. When we try to serve ourselves directly, then we don't feel happy. So the devotee knows my success is the more and more and more I am attached to pleasing the center, and the more and more and more I'm actually pleasing the center. That's the success. That's the success. You know, when we're making our our plans in life, what am I going to do today? What am I going to do right now? Where am I going to go? What am I going to say? What am I going to buy? What am I? We're generally thinking, how can I make myself happy? Or how can I make my family happy? Or how can I make my society, my country? But instead we should think, how do I make Krishna happy? How do I make Krishna happy? Prabhupada said, this is the mood of the resonance of Vrindavan. How can I make Krishna happy? How can I, is Krishna smiling? Because we're part of Krishna. Therefore, if Krishna, the center, is happy, then we also feel happy. When we try to satisfy ourselves, we get some limited and temporary satisfaction. But if we please Krishna and we're attached to pleasing Krishna, then we feel unlimited satisfaction. And if we measure like that, then we'll find that whether we ourselves are in a comfortable or dangerous situation is relevant only so much as it helps us to satisfy Krishna. If being in a difficult situation or a dangerous situation increases our connection with Krishna and our satisfaction of Krishna, then that difficult and dangerous situation is good. Whatever situation, 
If having a comfortable situation and a peaceful situation gives us more attachment to Krishna, more desire to please Krishna, then that's good. So this is how the devotee is thinking. And Krishna sees what kinds of situations are more likely for each of us to have us really become connected with the center, with him. And therefore, Prabhupada said that sometimes he, he'll, he'll arrange that, even if it's apparently difficult. Sometimes Krishna will arrange that a, a devotee loses all their money and even loses the love and care of their family members and their friends. They become an outcast. They have no one to depend on and nothing to depend on. Many years ago, one of my friends gave me a book. I can't remember the name of it for our library, our Gurukul library, about this one man during the Vietnam War whose plane was shot down by the North Vietnamese and he parachuted into enemy territory and was put in a prisoner of war camp for I think six or seven years. Long time. And during that, most of that time, I think all but one year or so, he was in solitary confinement and the men would communicate with each other by tapping and sometimes it would take 24 hours just to communicate one sentence. And if they were caught, they were beaten. And sometimes they were chained to a concrete slab. So they would, would not be able to move, and they would just have to, you know, pass stool and urine right there and, and sit in it. So it really conditions that's kind of beyond comprehension. You know, sometimes in our lives... I hear people say, oh, Krishna's taken everything away from me. And I think of that man in the POW camp, and I think, uh, I don't think so, <laughs> to have everything taken away. But it was interesting, this man in writing his memoirs, he wrote that when he was parachuting from the sky, it was the first time in 20 years that he'd ever prayed. And when he, he was in the prisoner of war camp, that he started reciting the old verses from the Bible and the, the hymns from church that he had learned as a child, and that he became a religious man in the prisoner of war camp. While he was there in the prisoner of war camp, unbeknownst to him, his teenage son had an accident and became a quadriplegic. So even when he came out of camp, his distress wasn't over, and of course he had lifelong health problems. But he saw it as the greatest benediction of his life because it brought him to reality. So we in our lives, when we're deciding, what should I do? Where should I go? Our criteria of success should be, is Krishna pleased? Is Krishna smiling? And Prabhupada said, you don't need someone else to certify your advancement. If Krishna's pleased, and we're... Uh, as Prabhupada said, you're becoming more and more attached to the Lord. Then we'll know. The example given in the 11th canto that Prabhupada quotes is just like a person who's eating gets three things simultaneously. They get nourishment, they get a feeling of satisfaction, and they get relief from hunger. And you don't have to ask anybody else. Am I making advancement? Am I getting more attached to Krishna? Am I pleasing Krishna? If we're pleasing Krishna, we'll know. Our material desires and interests will naturally fade. 
and will have satisfaction. And this satisfaction is so great that we'll want to repeat any situation that brings us more of it. Just like Kunti is about to say, give me more of this difficulty because it gives me more and more attachment to you. It gives me the real thing. I mean, anybody wants to repeat activities or, or circumstances that give them real satisfaction. So, so the devotees do also. They know that sometimes in the greater danger, like Prabhupada was comparing Devaki and Kunti and how Devaki, although she was in great danger, she had her husband, whereas Kunti was a widow. And therefore Krishna gave Kunti more protection even though Kunti was, you know, from one point of view, a more distant relative. She was an aunt, not a mother. So we should welcome any situation that brings us closer to Krishna. And we should use every situation to bring us closer to Krishna. It's not that only danger can bring us closer to Krishna. Everything can bring us closer to Krishna. When Prabhupada was asked one time, do you, do you see Krishna? I probably gave different answers to that question. But at least one time he said, yes, everyone is seeing. Don't you see the sunlight, the moonlight? And who doesn't see Krishna? Krishna is everywhere. To become attached to Krishna and to work to please Krishna can be done by anyone. Yesterday we were reading in Chaitanya Charitamrita Majalila Ninety-one to one fifty-five about Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu touring South India and preaching to the Brahmana named Kurma and curing the leper Vasudev. So, with this Brahmin named Kurma, he said, "My dear Lord, I want to leave my family and become a mendicant and travel with you." And Lord Chaitanya said, "No, you don't do that." You stay home and chant the names of Krishna and you preach Krishna consciousness to others. You become a spiritual master. You liberate everyone. And it's interesting, then, the way Prabhupada translates it is, in this way, your materialistic life at home will not be an impediment to you. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu didn't say, all your family will become devotees and your life will be very nice. He said, no, it won't be an obstacle. So we can please Krishna wherever we are, in any circumstance. And then we will see that obstacle, as Prabhupada says in the sixth canto, that Krishna turns all of our obstacles into spiritual service. I mean, Kunti is going to list in the next verse what are these difficulties. And for many of us, being in those sort of difficulties, we might say, well, how can I possibly be Krishna conscious in this situation? But Kunti saw the opposite. She saw, these situations are perfect for my being Krishna conscious. In fact, every situation is perfect for being Krishna conscious because Krishna is there. Of course, the devotee is supposed to accept what's favorable and reject what's unfavorable. Like Bhaktivinoda Thakur speaks in his songs about setting up his home at Sunanda Sukhita Kunj in Navadweep and building a throne for Tulsi and planting flowering trees and having kirtan, and so forth and so on. So certainly if we have the means to make our situation such uh, that it's favorable, according to our understanding of favorable, but ultimately 
Well, we're not the doer. Krishna's the controller. He's the one manipulating our lives. And he's manipulating our lives with the purpose of bringing us closer to him. Therefore, whatever arrangements end up being made, we should see that there's Krishna's hand. Krishna's hand in the so-called good things from the perspective of goodness, passion, and ignorance, and Krishna's hand in the so-called bad things from the perception of goodness, passion, and ignorance. Therefore, Krishna says that those who are not attached to the auspicious or the inauspicious are very dear to him. So this should be our model of success, our success formula. Success formula is, is Krishna pleased? And to see any situation, how can I make Krishna smile in this situation? And the best way to make Krishna smile is very simple, just to become more and more attached to Krishna. Just to become more and more attached to Krishna. And not to expect that because I'm a devotee of Krishna, that on a material level, my life's going to be very nice. Don't, don't expect that someone in the modes of goodness, passion, or ignorance will look at your life and say, oh, that, that's the perfect life. You know, someone in the mode of ignorance may look at your life and say, Where, where's all your sense pleasure? And someone in the mode of passion will say, where's your sense pleasure with name and fame? Where's your contribution to society? Where's your good for humanity? And the person in the mode of goodness will say, where's your beautiful, peaceful life out in the forest? You know, with your organic cotton and Maybe we'll have all that and maybe we won't. But if we have attachment to Krishna, and if we're pleasing Krishna, then we will have everything. Then all the satisfaction that anyone else gets will be completely and totally included. So questions, comments? Where I just know that it was Krishna's mercy. I, I was hanging some curtains and I was balancing um, on a stepladder and on a table and the table fell over and the table fell on top of me. And, and um, I went to the doctor yesterday and one of the things that I had, had was hit was my cheekbone. And it prevented um, my face from being pushed in. And, and then I, I uh, fractured a rib. And the doctor said uh, I, I could have uh, had a, you know, hurt my lung. So the, the injuries that I had were so precise and precision as, as to where I, I got hurt. So I knew that the hand of Krishna, and Krishna's mercy, uh, you know, was there, is there. Thank you. Somebody else? Um, so, one of the one of the impediments in spiritual life is sort of over-endeavoring for things that are difficult to obtain. And many times devotees will feel that 
if I only, if I can only get this, and if I can get that, if I can have a little bit more money or a little bit, my job is easier. Then I'll have more facility to be able to sit back and 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 study and concentrate more in Krishna. Sometimes we find the difficulties make it more difficult to remember Krishna. So where do we sort of find that balance as to what's favorable and what's unfavorable for remembering Krishna? But sometimes the difficulties at our stage make it difficult to remember Krishna. The only reason we have difficulty to remember Krishna is that we don't have enough love. When you love somebody, that was interesting, when you love somebody, there's no situation <coughs> that interferes with that love. You know, nothing. So this man I was telling you about who was in this prisoner of war camp in North Vietnam, his love for his wife and children didn't diminish just because he was in prison. So it's, it's not like that. The problem is, is that we don't love Krishna enough. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is how much to endeavor. So it was just reading the other day in Bhaktiloka by Bhaktivinoda Thakur about this idea of endeavor, prayasa. And he was saying that prayasa is generally for karma and gyan and that a devotee shouldn't engage in prayasa at all. It was really interesting. And he was saying that that even for... Maybe I can pull it up here because it was... I'm not sure if I have it handy. But he was saying even for the devotees, that even in Krishna consciousness, there's not supposed to be any prayasa. Yeah, let's see. Okay. Yeah, here it is. He says, if prayasa or over-endeavoring is not given up, devotion will never arise. It means endeavor useless labor. Spiritual life is nothing other than pure devotion under the Supreme Lord. Devotion cannot be defined by any symptoms other than full surrender and subordination unto the lotus feet of the Supreme Lord. Full surrender and subordination are the natural, eternal, constitutional duties of the living entities. Therefore, only devotional service is the natural propensity or inherent occupation. In one's inherent occupation, there's no need of prayasa or endeavor. Still, in the living entity's conditioned state, there is need for a small amount of prayasa in order to cultivate devotional service. Except for this little prayasa, all other kinds of prayasa are unfavorable for devotional service. Prayasa is of two kinds, jnana prayasa and karma prayasa. So I thought, found this very interesting, that Bhaktivinoda Thakur is saying that bhakti is just surrender and subordination. It's not endeavor. In our natural state, this surrender and subordination just flows without any kind of work. But Bhaktivinoda is saying that in the conditioned state, we do have to engage in some endeavor in order to cultivate this natural surrender. And in fact, Srila Prabhupada defines enthusiasm like that. So let's see if we can find that. The benefit of giving class next to my computer so if 
we look at what is enthusiasm and Prabhupada says bhakti is a kind of is a sort of cultivation as soon as we say cultivation we must refer to activity cultivation of spirituality does not mean sitting down idly for meditation see how he defines okay here he says enthusiasm means action but action for whom the answer is that one should always act for krishna he says here endeavor executed with intelligence and krishna consciousness is called utsaha or enthusiasm so it's interesting Prabhupada is using the word endeavor which can also be this word prayasa which means endeavor so endeavor executed with intelligence and krishna consciousness is called enthusiasm so the conclusion is that we have to have some enthusiasm. We have to do something. Uh, we have to pick up our beads and chant minimum 16 rounds every day. We have to sit down and, if we're second initiated, chant our Gayatri mantras three times a day. If we have deities, then we have to do a daily deity a service to a certain standard. We have to make an endeavor to offer our food and so forth and so on. But we're not, with the endeavor that we're not trying to make, we're not trying to make an endeavor for our own personal sense gratification. Now, should we make some endeavor to situate our lives so that we will be Krishna conscious? Definitely. This is explained in the Bhagavad Gita. Srila Prabhupada has it in a purport, I believe, in the 18th chapter. Let's see if I can find it. No, I can't. But I believe it's in the 18th chapter. It's also um, in regard to Rishikesh. Rishikesh. Uh, I can't find it. Anyway, it's in it's in the Bhagavad Gita in a purport in regard to Rishikesh, where Prabhupada says that we should try to arrange our lives in such a way that we will remember Krishna at every moment. At the other hand, we know that we should remember Krishna at every moment regardless of the circumstance. So the problem, I think, arises when one says, first I'm going to arrange my life so that I can think of Krishna, and then I'm going to think of Krishna. So rather, let's think of Krishna now and become a... I mean now. I don't mean today. I don't mean this week. I mean right now, in this moment, because all we ever have is this moment. Now, part of my thinking of Krishna now may be, how can I get a better altar for my deities? How can I put a nice picture on the wall? That may be part of my now. But if that kind of endeavor pushes out of our heart and mind the attachment for Krishna now and the thinking of Krishna now, then it's definitely an over-endeavor. So you want to judge by how much you're attached to Krishna now. All of us at the moment may have to sometimes engage in something that relates to the future. That's natural, just like I'm going to Honolulu in a couple days. So I had to spend time getting a ticket for the future. But even in the moment, one wants to be absorbed in Krishna now. First of all, it's never the future. It's always the present. Past, present, and future is a creation of material energy. It doesn't exist in the spiritual reality. 
So if we get caught up in, I'm, I'll forget about Krishna now to set up a situation where in the future I'll think about Krishna, then that's a fruit of mentality. I'm sacrificing now for some future happiness. It's, it's, that's very Rajagun, and to some extent uh, Sattvagun, but it certainly is not transcendental. So that's a kind of a complicated answer, but I hope it answers your question. Getting about about halfway through, and then you you put it all together at the end. That was great. Thank you. Because in the beginning, you were talking about that we shouldn't we shouldn't endeavor priyasha. That we shouldn't. But then at the end, you, you it all kind of made sense that I guess it's not priyasha if our mind is is if we're remembering Krishna at the moment, and that's certainly always the goal. Yes. That's great. Anybody else? Yeah, I have a Dandavats, Varmaladidi, Vidyagamadavadas. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I have a question. We, as you were saying earlier on, we all have the natural tendency in this world to try to arrange some comfortable situation but at the same time you know it could be seen that we've been given a particular situation or a particular nature and we can try to serve or satisfy Krishna from that position and 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 third chapter Bhagavad Gita Krishna is telling Arjuna you know to follow his nature his you know just to perform his prescribed duties and to follow another's path is dangerous you know to try to go outside of that there's some danger there but then at the end he's telling Arjuna forget you know forget all this dharmic all this uh, these ideas of religion and just surrender right and so um, the question comes to my mind that should one take risks you know it, it, it seems like Kunti's pointing to the of course her difficulties came in the course of time she wasn't searching them out they were just coming but she realized after being in such a, a, you know situations those were the times when she was mostly in, most intensely remembering the lotus feet of Krishna so of course, during Prabhupada's time, you know, devotees took risks, but that was in the presence of Prabhupada. But now, uh, it's a little different situation. I was just curious how you would approach that. If somebody finds themselves in a bit of a comfortable situation, um, you know, should they try going out of that situation and take a risk? And, and if there's difficulties, just think, That'll just mean I'll take shelter of Krishna. Oh, goodness, this is such an individualized situation. You started talking about our nature, and definitely, even though Krishna says Sarva Dharma and Prachaja, he, he never asks Arjuna to abandon his nature. Rather, he asks Arjuna to use his nature in service. So I understand Sarva Dharma and Prachaja to mean don't act according to your nature for your own satisfaction 
as because dharma means that material dharma means that the way I get the most satisfaction is by acting according to my nature, according to the rules of yagya. That's what, what material dharma means. I do what I love, I do what I'm made for, but I do it as a sacrifice for society. I do it, that's in the mode of passion, in the mode of goodness, I do it as a sacrifice indirectly, Prabhupada explains for the universal form. So Krishna says, forget that. Just surrender to me. And what is Krishna asking us? Krishna is asking us to use our nature in service. You know, that's... Doesn't that make sense? I mean, if, if you're working with a group of people, you're going to want to engage those people according to what they're best at and they're going to be happiest at. I mean, maybe temporarily, for a short period of time, you may say, look, I know you hate this and you're not good at it, but it's just what needs to be done. That's emergency work. Prabhupada says there's uh, ordinary desire in emergency activities. But Krishna doesn't want his devotees to be in emergency mode all the time. No good manager would want to do that. In fact, good managers try to make it so you never go into emergency mode. They, they, try, to, they try not to have emergencies come up. They try to have you act according to your propensities all the time so that you'll be happy. So I don't see that we should take risks or put ourselves in uncomfortable situations intentionally in terms of our nature. I see that it's our duty to Krishna that as far as possible we act in our areas of, of strength. That to put ourselves willingly in the absence of an emergency into an area of weakness in the name of surrender I see as, as great foolishness. I, I don't see any any point to it at all, nor do I see any Shastric uh, basis for that. I just, I just don't see it in the Shastra. I don't see it from Srila Prabhupada. I don't see it at all. That if I have the ability to serve Krishna according to my nature and there's no emergency situation to intentionally create an artificial emergency in the name of risk-taking and surrender because I'll think of Krishna more... I, I, I don't, I don't see that from Sadhu Shastra Guru. And the result of doing that, I see people who do that, and the result of doing that I've seen is almost always bad. Because when we're acting in our area of weakness, well, we're acting in our area of weakness, or we're not going to be functioning very well. We're not going to be functioning very well as part of the universal body or as, as part of the group or, or anything. Now, should we take risks? Sure we should take risks for Krishna. Absolutely, we should take risks for Krishna. I mean, frankly, just taking initiation vows is taking a risk for Krishna, is it not? You know, people will say, well, how can I take my vows? How will I know? What circumstances will happen in my life? It's a risk. Oh, getting married is taking a risk. Having a child is taking a risk. Ordinary life is this. The commitments we make, you're taking a risk. If we do that for Krishna, then that's wonderful. And certainly, preachers, Srila Prabhupada is asking us all to preach. Preaching means taking a risk. Are we still on? Yes. 